The 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim isn't just an event, it's an experience. Join us this year where we will feature some of the biggest names in soccer. Leonard Griffin from Calman Soccer, Carla Thompson of the San Diego Wave FC, Randy Waldrum, the head coach of the Nigeria Women's National Team, will all be in attendance, on top of many more. Engage in immersive field sessions that cover contemporary topics from transition tactics in modern play to the evolution of goalkeeper training. The business of soccer thrives within the exhibit hall where it showcases hundreds of international brands and the opportunity to network with industry leaders. If you use our special promo code FBS24, you will get the special price of $425. Prices will rise after December 13th. So join us in Anaheim in January. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray. I'm your host. And today I'm joined by our staff member, Rachel Thomas. Say hello, Rachel. Hi, everybody. And it's just the two of us. No interview today. We have some fun things to talk about. Um, We are going to talk all about the topic of hidden potential. Um, This stems from recently, a few weeks ago, Rachel and I were lucky enough to go to a book talk with Adam Grant. Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist at Wharton College. He's also a multi uh, best-selling author. He has a podcast uh, called Work Life with Adam Grant, and he is um, amazing on Instagram. If you don't follow him, you should, because his one-liners, his ability to pack a punch in like two sentences is pretty impressive. Um, but his most recent book is called Hidden Potential, The Science of Achieving Greater Things. And Rachel and I were lucky enough to go uh, listen to him speak on the book and be interviewed by Michael Lewis, the author of Moneyball. And they had a very open conversation around what hidden potential is and how it kind of pertains a lot to sports. The conversation was a lot around sports. So um I guess without further ado, let's jump right into like what we thought, what we, you know, like kind of what the book's about. Do you want to give your two cents on how about the overall evening? What were your thoughts on going and what do you feel like? Um, yeah, I don't know. What'd you think? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, it was super fun to be able to do something like this little, uh, development within our own, uh, female footballer family. And, um, it was lovely to see you in the flesh and yeah, I agree. We got to have dinner and, uh, enjoy ourselves, um, on a little rainy evening in Redwood city. And, um, the, that theater is such a cool venue. It's an old, uh, the Fox theater is an old venue in Redwood city. And, um, so anyway, it was, it, it felt really good. I, I, I have missed, I guess, that experience of being in a group like that, listening to something different, you know, not just watching a movie or something else, but listening to two people talk. Um, we certainly can get that on podcasts, but there's something about being in a room with people who are hearing and feeling those words, um, at the same time. Um, I thought he was great. I, um, certainly have a little bit of knowledge of his previous work. Um, I'm still, I'm almost through the book. I'm about two thirds way through the book. I'm slow at reading these kinds of books. I take a lot of notes. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so full of just impressive, um, thoughts and, uh, for, for, especially coming from a parent point of view, um, raising, I have, um, three adolescent, uh, teenage girls, And, um, so for that, for personal development that way, and then also, um, implementing some of this thought into our, um, programs here. So I was, I I loved it. I just love spending time with you and being able to, to share that, you know, sort of more academic night together. Great. We don't get to do this kind of stuff often. And for those of you guys listening, um, we're doing this episode because our goal is to get resources in the hands of parents and coaches and players that we feel like are valuable and not everything has to be theory based and courses and classes and all that. We really believe in trying to educate ourselves with the resources that are available to everybody that are accessible to everybody. And so that's why we're recording this. We want everyone to know about this book and why it's important. And even if you're not a reader, like the audiobook is very good. 
But like you said, Rach, I loved getting to hang out with you. We don't get a lot of one-on-one -on -one or just in-person time here at Female Football. We do a lot on Zoom. Um, and then um, I agree there's something really special about being in an auditorium filled with people with like-minded feelings on a subject. Just like when you go to a concert and you listen to music and you're like, everybody in here loves this artist. I feel the same about like everybody in here finds value in this book. And that could be really like a powerful thing to be around people that, you know, also value something that you value. Um, and I'll give you my two cents. Like Adam Grant has always been somebody I've been interested in. I read his book, Think Again. Um, I've read his book, Option B with Sheryl Sandberg. Um, he's close in age to us, which I think um, I value as well because he's a parent, but he's also the same generation going up, you know, growing up through college at the same time. And um, I knew nothing about Michael Lewis, um, who wrote Moneyball. I've not read Moneyball. I don't know a lot about that. I know he's almost like the more famous author having a movie, you know, with Brad Pitt in it based on his writings is a little bit more famous than maybe Adam Grant. But um, I love the way that Adam is able to take a lot of theory and psychology and make it very tangible for people um, who maybe aren't used to that theory and psychology background. Um, so that's kind of what I like about his books. It is still heavy, it's a heavy read. So those of you who wanna read the book, like definitely read it, but I'll give you my honest opinion. I also, when I needed breaks from it, I read the Britney Spears memoir. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's how I roll. I go back and forth, um, which was also fantastic. <laughs> um, but what I like about this book is the, the whole concept behind it is very relatable to parents and coaches and players um, about how we view our journey and the process that we go through to become great. Um, and I don't want to use the word elite because I hate that word, but I do think if you're a coach, that might be a, a word you're used to more rather than great. But um, I'll give a little background to what the book is about. So um, Adam Grant um, was an athlete he used to try to be a basketball player and a soccer player in middle school he failed um making the team uh for basketball all three years and then he got to freshman year high school and then he didn't make the, the high school soccer team so he was feeling pretty low on himself and he was super interested in diving having gone to a pool so he decided to try out for the uh the diving team and the coach was like well touch your toes can you touch your toes without bending your knees and he was like no and then they were like, are you afraid of heights? He's like, yeah. So he had everything up against him about being a good diver. Um, he couldn't do flips or anything like that. Yet his coach really believed that if he really loved this, he had the passion to do something like this, that that coach could really help mold him into a diver. Um, fast forward through his experience, Adam Grant then got a Division One scholarship to dive in college. Um, and I think that, his story is a lot about how had people written him off for not being great or good at the beginning, he never would have had the opportunity and the success that he found. So a lot of the book is about how, um, and we can relate this to the soccer world. A lot of parents put their kid in a sport where they have them try out for soccer. And if they don't see the potential right away, they're like, okay, let's move on to the next sport. And I think from a parent perspective, it's really hard to know when to stick with something and when to let it go. Um, I know with my kids, there are certain things where I'm like, yeah, this is not your thing, but it's also hard to know how do we put the time and effort into it, right? What are your thoughts on his story with diving and, and sort of that, you know, finding potential in the process rather than the beginning, kind of in the middle? Yeah. I mean, it's tricky, um, when you, when you're starting something new and you're, you're not maybe very good at it, right? You still have to learn the fundamentals and, and things like that. And impressive as a, you know, a freshman in high school to, um, to stick with it. And cause I, cause to your point, you know, a lot of people will just say, oh, well, I'm not very good. I'm not, I'm never going to be good at this. Um, but I think that's what, you know, we need more of is more people saying, no, you know, I'm, I'm a beginner. You know, I, I just had my, I coach uh, various sports and I we just had our first basketball game. It was our first basketball game. Now, most of these girls, I actually don't think any of these girls play basketball outside of school basketball. So the last time they touched, touched a basketball in a team setting was in March. And 
you know, they, many of them play other sports and are very active and, you know, and have heard, uh, I've had a number of them on my team for a few years. So they've heard these things, but I remember telling them, you guys remember you, you're, you know, basketball, you're just re acquainting yourself with the sport right now, you know, and you have those things. Cause they kept saying, Oh, I'm terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. I said, no, you're just, you're not a true beginner. Cause you've played basketball before, but you're a beginner. Again, it's the beginning of this season. You haven't played it in a while. Like give yourself some grace and remember these things. And yeah, the first 10 minutes of the game was a little like, Oh, Oh yeah, that rule. Oh, Oh, right. That, you know, but then as the game went on, they started to remember and figure things out. And you could see that, build inside of them like oh yeah okay and that confidence growing and now does that mean that they're fine and we can you know there's not stuff to learn of course not but I think that there's a lot to giving yourself some grace of when you're beginning something as a true beginner and then also when you're coming back to something after you've taken some time off from it um, and wherever you were at that time that you took it off. Cause you know, say you were playing on a highly competitive soccer team and then you had a month off, you know, you're not coming back. You're not a beginner, but you've had a chunk of time off it changing your routine and things like that. So how does that look going forward? Um, but I think going back to being a beginner can be very hard. Um, I remember when I was younger, I, um, my, I have two older brothers and my older, my, they both tried snowboarding when it first came out. And my middle brother really took to it, loves it, still is an incredible snowboarder to this day. Um, and I was a skier. And again, I had two older brothers and a dad who would charge down the mountain. So I just had to keep up. So since I was four skiing, I just had to keep up with them. And so now I'm about 12-ish and snowboarding has started and my one brother's getting into it. So I'm like, okay, I'll try. And I hated it because I was a beginner. And I was like, why would I do this? when I'm really good at skiing. Fast forward to when I tore my ACL and I then got back on skis, was terrified because of the way the pressure was putting on my on my knee. So I was like, oh, maybe I should try snowboarding again. Had some friends who were snowboarding, went back to being a beginner. And really all I needed to do was snowboard for a few days in a row and get those basics down. And now I'm a great snowboarder and still a great skier. But, you know, it was funny, the difference of the mindset from a 11, 12 year old to then a 20 year old and being willing to, to be a beginner, um, again. So, you know, I think it's getting over that fear of not being great. It's easy to say, Oh, well, I'm just not good, you know, but really you can be really great. You, a lot of things are skills that just need to be practiced and getting those fundamentals for whatever it is you're, you're taking on, you know, if you're doing a big research project, well, you got to do, you got, it's very overwhelming got to start. You got to go get the little bits of information and then build on that. So I think it's so applicable to, to many things that, um, we have to normalize being a beginner, <laughs> even when you're a grown adult, you know, no, I'm, I've never done this. I mean, I, I coached lacrosse. I never played lacrosse. I've coached a lot of sports. I've worked with a lot of kids. So I went on YouTube. How does this work? <laughs> and then the rules kept changing. So, okay, I'm learning this, but you know, you can, you, you can learn things and you can build skills. Um, even if you're not quote good at them at the start. Totally. And I think this is where, what I loved when Adam sat down, he was like, um, he's like, I know the topic of this book is kind of against, uh, this Bay area concept of, of like child prodigies. And I laughed because we live in an area, and I think if you're listening outside of the Bay Area, you probably also live in an area, because I think it's everywhere, um, where we do Id idolize people who are good at something the youngest ages. And this past year, we saw that in the NWSL with the most signings of 15-year-olds. Um, we are seeing that in this current month where the national team is pulled up Olivia Moultrie, the full team, to give her a cap. And we have Jaden Shaw, who's like 18. And we have all these young players. And we're really valuing the talent at the youngest ages. And in fact, the sleeve of the book, when you open it up, I'm just going to read a tiny piece of it because I think it's exactly what we're talking about. It's, he says, we live in a world that's obsessed with talent. We celebrate gifted students in school, natural athletes in sports, and child prodigies in music. But admiring people who start out with innate advantages leads us to overlook the distances we ourselves can travel. We underestimate the range of skills that we can learn and how good we can become. 
We can all improve at improving. And when opportunity doesn't knock, there are ways to build the door. And um, I just love, I kind of love this whole mentality of we're in such a like a uh, society that like, if we're not good at something instantly and early, we give up. And what we're seeing at female footballers and why this is pertinent to talk about on a podcast episode for our organization is we work with a lot of coaches, players, and parents. And a theme that we're seeing is um, the lack of mental toughness, right? We have coaches who are frustrated that kids are soft or they're giving up or they're not um, persevering. We have parents who are frustrated that kids don't know how to overcome and be resilient. We have players who are struggling to access ways to overcome and they want the quick, easy fix on how to move past a mistake. And um, I don't know about you, Rachel, but I get really frustrated in some of this because we'll work with clubs or individual players and they they almost want to bypass the knowledge around self-awareness. And they're like, just give me the reset ritual. What's the reset? Even parent presentations that we do or people are like, but, but really let's hone in on that part. And my frustration is like, you can't access the easy fix if you don't understand how you yourself work and the habits that you um, have and the way that you see things around potential. And so the reason I love this book is sort of, you know, our biggest issue, in my opinion, within youth sports is what we're talking about. It's when we feel like our kid isn't good at something or as a coach, we feel like the player isn't good at something, we no longer invest in that or in them. And then they either quit or they trade, go to a different club or they transfer schools, to the collegiate level. And whenever we pull them out of the uncomfortable feeling, like what you're talking about, being new at something and you're uncomfortable, we are robbing them of the ability to have resilience and grow resilience. And um, when we sit in discomfort is when we have the potential to gain confidence. So every time we pull them out because they're not good enough to start, they're not a natural talent, they're not showing potential right away, we then are are just taking that opportunity to um, grow through and, and gain resilience away. And then we're all frustrated later when they don't know how to show resilience. And it's like, well, we all, we all of us, coaches, parents, and players, we are all guilty of robbing people of that experience. It's not one or the other. I hate when the, the groups get pitted up against each other. It's all parents' fault. It's all helicopter parents. No, they're a part of it, sure. But it's also coaches, you're guilty too. And the individual player, you're guilty too for wanting the easy route, for wanting to take the, the quick fit, the, the instant gratification of our society. That's all of it. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think the I think the biggest thing with that and I I know, you know, personally as a parent, um it can be very difficult to um to see your kid uncomfortable or end upset and you want to help them um you want to fix it, you know, make it better. We I think most parents you would ask like, "Well, what do you hope for your kid?" You know, "Well, I want them to be happy and healthy and, you know, have a a, a good life that way." And and that's true, of course, but also we need resilient kids and resilient adults because resilient kids are going to grow into being resilient adults and unresilient kids are going to grow into unresilient adults until they do the work to sit with those in those uncomfortable situations. Um, and and what what is so beautiful about sport is it, it provides these opportunities for failure in a, in a safe environment, you know, like, okay, you missed that wide open goal. And that was devastating. Like, you know, and, and so then, you know, we can talk about how, as a parent, we try to parent that, you know, cause we don't want to minimize their feelings. We want them to feel the feelings. And I know we talk about labeling feelings and things like that. And sometimes I can feel a little, um, maybe trivial to a parent, like, oh, you're feeling, you know, upset about this or, um, but I think really just, trying to, I, as a parent, I've really tried to, um, take, take that breath <laughs> when I, when I see them upset or they're very upset about something and try to figure out like, okay, how can I just help? Um, my husband talks about this a lot, like shepherd them through this and not 
fix it for them or say, do this, do this, just say, okay, well, let's talk about, you know, how are you feeling? And then let them sit with it for a while. And then how can I, do you want to talk about this or do you want to put it to the side for a little bit, talk about it later? Um, and I think I heard someone, I'm forgetting who said this recently, because I've been listening to lots of podcasts podcast lately but there was where they were talking about the highs and lows with parenting and or I mean the highs and lows with your kids and to try to not get really really high when they're really really high and not to get really really low when they're really low try to keep that I mean of course you're going to be elated you know when they you know get a great mark on a score they've been working on hard on and things like that um, or get make a team that they were trying out for or get an award that they were really excited about of course, you're going to be proud and be so proud of them and proud for them. And, and all, but also trying to not make that everything, you know, because that, you know, then the lows and not getting so low with them, just trying to be that consistent, um, you know, kind of force for them to come through with those highs and lows. Um, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what your question was, but no, no, no. But I, I love what you just said about um, as a parent, we want our kids to be happy. That's like the ultimate. What you hear the most, how I feel as a parent too, and I think what I'm learning as I go through parenting and how it relates to sport and being a player too and a coach is that we also need to educate our kids that like not everybody's happy all the time, and that's not normal either. And that's realistic that, that happiness is one emotion. And yes, we, we like how it feels, but it's not real to be happy all the time and that nobody is happy all the time. And I think normalizing that for your kid is really important. And like you just said, I listened to whatever you're talking about because I heard that same, because I, I, I think it was on Fowdy's. I think it was on Fowdy's. It might've been, yeah, it might've been Fowdy's. Um, listen to Laughter Permitted because that's a great one. And um yeah, she talked about that that same concept of when when we are elated, when they're elated for scoring the goal or winning the tournament or whatever, it's it's great to be happy for your kid, sure. But um, keep in mind, they're paying attention to to how you feel and your reactions to things. And sometimes what we're finding, I feel like, is a lot of kids are wanting to feel happy because it makes their parents happy. And that relates to the whole level of perfectionism. And we just did, I just did a session on Monday with Leland High School girls. And um, we talked about the difference between perfectionism and excellence. And I think we've done that session a hundred times. And when we do it, we see the exact same thing that every single girl, no matter she's 10, 14, 18, we've done it at the college level, 22 year olds, every girl in that realm of age completely identifies as being a perfectionist. That is one hugely common piece of being a female athlete. We all want to be perfect. And a lot of our reasons for being perfect are the precedent set before us of what is okay, what's not okay, how mistakes are framed in our families, with our coaches, with our peers. And it's a learned behavior. Um, and I think that this is why, like, you're listening to this, you're like, this is so theory-based and this is so unrealistic. That's not true. You have to be aware that what you say and how you say it is going to affect the people around you. Whether you're a player, it's going to affect your teammates. If you're a parent, it's going to affect your children. If you're a coach, it's going to affect your team. And we have to be more careful with what we say and be a little bit more thoughtful about how we say it because everything that comes out of our mouth is framing those thoughts and feelings for the people that we're in charge of. And I think that um, when we are when we are really getting excited when a kid is good at something at a young age, that shows that our priority is with early potential and not hidden potential. And I think that hidden potential is the underdog that we see in sport. You know, it's the, I'm going to give Christine Sinclair as an example Christine Sinclair was also the child prodigy. Like I remember being 14, I put this on Instagram recently, um, being at an ODP event. It was with Cal North. It was all state teams and British Columbia was there. It was in Oregon. We're playing a round robin tournaments and we got out of the van, we walk up and all these people are cheering. And I'm like, what's happening? And it somehow gets to us that the player that just scored the goal was, it was her fifth goal. And we were like, what? And she had her hair down. She never wore a ponytail. And she looked like a beast at our age, really 14. And um, and I just remember like, wow, that girl's good. And following her throughout her career, yes, she was good originally. 
but she did not fit the mold even at that time of a competitive soccer player. And what I value the most about Christine Sinclair is not the potential she had at 14 at the ODP level, but the longevity she was able to have throughout her career. And I think that as a society, we put a lot of focus on these 15-year-old girls who are amazing. That's awesome. Great. How about the focus on the people who can make their careers last that long and play at a high level for that long? Like Christine Sinclair is about 40 years old and she's retiring for the Canadian national team this week. And I'm like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. How, how come we aren't valuing more of that? Because it's not just the early potential, but it's the ability to have confidence in uncomfortable moments that saw her through the adversity she hit throughout that long career. That needs to be celebrated too. And also players who, you know, come out of nowhere, kind of, I mean, sure, Alex Morgan could be an example. She's also an early potential person, but she didn't start soccer until she was 14, right, at the competitive level. So again, she wasn't a five-year-old showing potential. She was a 14-year-old, still young, but basically starting her competitive journey when Melanie Barsanis is at the height of hers, you know? And I don't know, I just think that... um I think that we need to look at what we say, how we say it, and the priorities that go along with it that are really dictating some of the mental struggles everyone's facing within the sport right now and take more accountability for some of it, you know, and not say it's one group or the other. Like, I'm so tired of those. Parents are ruining it for everybody. Sure, there's a lot of parents ruining it, but so are coaches and so are players and so is the media. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. And I think, you know, the system is a little, uh, is not set up for maybe the best, uh, child development thoughts or human development, um, in, in regards to that. But I think you, uh, you know, as a coach, as a parent or a player, you have control over you and you can, um, decide how you engage in that system. Um, so you can be the parent who pulls your kid and goes to another team, you know, if they're not getting playing time or this or that, or you can choose to say, no, you know, this is a, an appropriate environment and have that conversation with your child, try to facilitate their growth and advocate for them to communicate with their coach and give them that skill. Like what a skill to be able to go to, a someone who has power over you, maybe later in life, that's a boss or whatever it is. And express to them, you know, your goals and how you want to, you know, what they think, you know, could help them achieve those goals, what they're, what they want to see more from your, you know, play or whatever it is. I mean, that skill set right there is going to last forever versus just yanking them and taking them to another club where, you know, or starting a club, you know, plenty of parents go and start clubs so that their kid now can be on the team and then they're, they have control of all of that. Um, but I think you just, to your point, Cass, everyone just has to sort of take a step back and look at themselves and their role in, um, the, the player coach team, um, parent situation and sports situation. Um, and is, this isn't a conversation that like, oh, we're going to talk about this right now. This is something that you have to constantly be reevaluating because, you know, one weekend your um, player may have an amazing weekend and play super well. And then the next weekend, not, or the next tournament, you know, has, is totally off and like how to balance that. And that again, is trying to keep that like sort of steady Eddie in the middle for those moments, but it can be very hard because you, as a parent, if I'm talking from the parent perspective, you're paying a lot of money, you know, and the coach may not be saying the things that you're like, that's not helping my child. And you want to go up to him and smack him, not smack him, but you know, say, Hey, don't talk to my kid that way rather than, okay, I'm going to, you know, we're going to talk about this as a family or however you do it in your home, you know, and get giving them the tools to go talk to their coach and say, Hey, this isn't working for me. When you say it this way, I would do better with this or whatever. A lot of this stuff, of course, we talk about it. Female footballers trying to empower the individual players. Well, parents also that's, that's on you and coaches that's on you. You have to do that um, and recognize your role in the situation. And that especially parents, I know how much you want your kid to succeed and you want all these great things and we don't always make the right decisions 
fully guilty of that, you know, and, but also like, that's okay. Reflect on that moment and learn from it and even share it with your kid. If you're like, Hey, you know what? I actually didn't really love the way that I responded to that situation. Um, and here's what I learned and here's what I'm going to do going forward and how powerful that can be for, you know, humanizing all of this. And I know that's really what we value because we want the whole player, the whole human <laughs> development to um, occur with these athletes. Because again, going back to the why we want our, why people talk about why sports are so great. Why are sports so great? Well, because they give us, they provide all these opportunities for us to do, to, to fail really, <laughs> and mm -hmm. come out of it on the other side. Um, yeah, sometimes really there's only one championship team or one mm -hmm. champion. If it's a single sport athlete every season, you know, so everyone else are quote losers, but they didn't lose, right. They, we know how much they gain. So really remembering the why we, why people say that, why sports are so great, because it provides this platform that's safe for us to have these ups and downs and dealing with other people and people who don't, you know, have good self-awareness or don't have good control about their emotions. Now, caveat to all this is if there's abuse or people being ridiculous, of course, a parent should intervene or a coach should intervene or whatever, you know, but we're talking just the normal stuff of getting frustrated with a teammate or frustrated with the, mm -hmm. my playing time or whatever it is, you know, um, that comes up constantly. I do think that's, that's one of the biggest things in being in education. It's the same thing. It's like when your kid gets the biggest issue parenting wise is Today, people focus on their worth as a parent is based on how good or not good their kid is at something. So when their kid fails, they look at it as a failure on them. And it's just not true. And we need, and that's why we don't want them to fail because it's an ego thing with us. We're like, oh, I don't, I can't let them fail because then it means I'm failing as a parent. That's not true at all. And I don't know how you change that. It's a lot larger of a systemic issue and all of that. But we got to start somewhere and we have to start educating ourselves. And this is where the, the notion of like reading books like this, taking time to prioritize, listen to a podcast, do these types of things to educate yourself. And I think there's a lot of parents that do, but there's also a lot of parents that don't. And same with coaches. I think coaches always look at their um, sort of coach education as these courses, the formal courses that they take once a year to up their coach licenses and all that kind of stuff. But Coaches, you can learn so much from learning from these types of podcasts and books and how to formulate your philosophy as a coach. Um, but players too, you know, if you're a high school or a college player, you can learn a lot from these types of things too. And I know that's not something that, that they maybe care about, but I will say this, like we have a lot of female players that tag us on Instagram that are intense players. They are working their butts off to get to the highest level. And I think there's two ways of looking at that. And it's the same thing. You can look at a, a Melanie Barsanis or um, Chloe Ricketts or whoever you want to look at, these younger players. And you could say, wow, they're amazing. They're, they're the best players in their age group, blah, blah, blah. Or you can look at their habits. And that's what I choose to look at. And um, it goes along with what Adam Grant says in the book about how growth is not about the genius you possess. It's not about how great you are technically, tactically, physically, whatever. It's about the character that you develop within getting to those levels. So these players who are working their butts off who are young, it's not just that they're amazing because they're young and they're naturally gifted. It's what habits are they doing behind the scenes that you're not watching? And we have a couple of players, um, you know, like I said, that tag us and, and are showing the, the day in, day out grind of working on their development. And it's like, that's what we should be promoting is the habits behind it. And so and that's what hidden potential is ultimately. It's it's the character and the passion that you have to develop and get better that we should be highlighting rather than the genius we have uh, at the the end outcome, right? And I think um, this is where you know I love Dr. Colleen Hacker, and she was on um, she's on Laughter Permitted all the time with Julie Foudy, and I think it was today's episode. She said something like, "Behavior that gets rewarded gets repeated." And, um, I, you know, pay attention to what you're rewarding for those, uh, those coaches. And I think that that's all in our words. We can sit here and, and say, you know, we want you to win. And so we want that to be repeated. 
but ultimately that's not always in our control. If we changed our wording to about our work ethic and, and our discipline that we have in our habits, and that was the behavior that we're rewarding, like the effort that people put out, then that's what's going to get repeated is the effort. And that's a skill, like you said, that goes way beyond sport. And I think like being careful with your wording and, and what you're focused on is hugely important from all aspects, whether you're a player, parent, or coach. And yes, like you said, I'm not a perfect parent, I'm not a perfect coach, and I definitely wasn't a perfect player. But I wish that some of the things that we talk about, and especially what this book talks about, that younger players could access. And they can. Obviously, the book is an adult sort of book. But these types of conversations, after your parent or coach reading it, you have such um, a place to mold players with this information, you know? And it's not, you know, I'll take a class to do this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Other yeah. thoughts? Yeah. Well, I was, it made me think of like um, one of the things too, I think when you're, when you're, you know, we, we have these, um, prodigy kids, players who are, you know, at 10 or have incredible footwork and all the things. And that's fantastic, especially if they're still passionate and having fun and enjoying themselves while developing. Um, for the ones who have a little more hidden potential, um, a lot of it when we work with these players, uh, is confidence-based of course. And part of that is repetitive, you know, obviously I'm going to be more confident with a volley, the more I practice it. Um, and the more reps I can get in, I'm going to gain that confidence. So there is that part to it, but I think a piece that, um, especially for coaches and, and parents, but you know, when you're, when, when you have a player who, who tries something and fails, um, I think that's going back to your thing about what, how did hacker say it? The good, the good behaviors, uh, that, behavior that gets, let me think I wrote it down. Behavior that gets rewarded, gets repeated. It's repeated. Yeah. It reminds me of the whole, like caught being good. You know, you want to catch the good behavior kind of thing when you're at little toddlers and pump that, you know, instead of saying no, 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 because there's a lot of no's and, um, safety usually oriented. But, um, in any case, when you're, when you're coaching, you know, and that player does take that risk recognizing that that was huge. You don't, you don't have to verbally say that was amazing that you took that risk. I mean, you certainly can, but more to the point of like, I, a lot of times when I have a player who, who tries something new or, um, does something that is, you know, a next step for them, um, and it doesn't quite work out or it totally fails or whatever. I like to say, I love what you were thinking. I can see it because that's, validating that they were getting to that next point of like trying to play that through ball. Like, you know, if they're in that development of practice, you've been practicing through balls or talked about it and then they tried it and it failed, but giving them that praise for that effort because it will work, you know, and we know all through balls don't work anyway, but so that they don't just close down and feel that like, Oh, I failed and not try it again. Um, so again, rewarding the thinking behind it too, because I think especially the female athlete in their processing of things, like if they hear their coach say like, I saw that idea. And sometimes the idea doesn't actually even pan out. Like maybe that through ball didn't even get played, but the coach saw that the player lifted their head and looked for Mm -hmm. saying to that player, I saw you looked, Mm -hmm. it's going to just help them like nudge up one confidence and two, like, oh yeah, I was, I, they are developing in the right way, you know? So I think again, just going back to looking for those moments to insert rather than just like, you know, of course, if they miss a shot and you know, oh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll square it up next time or whatever kind of thing is, is a normal response. Um, but especially those other, the, the thought process in the, in the game, in the flow of the game, um, I think is a really good way to try to, um, insert that confidence into some of the players. That's not just through a technical, I mean, that is a tactical thing and maybe a technical thing, but it's also the emotional piece of that for that player. Totally. And I think we're talking about like potential. It's just, we have to think long-term and I think like we're said so involved in like the instant gratification. And if I'm thinking of myself as a parent, like here's an analogy. (laughs) When my oldest son was younger and he didn't like every year we make gingerbread houses, it's December, we'll go on that. Um, When he was younger and the gingerbread house would fall apart, he would throw a temper tantrum and run into his room 
and I would fix the gingerbread house for him. Be like, oh, it's okay. It's all right. We can fix this. And then I would do all the fixing. And yesterday we did gingerbread houses and um, he got a pretty hard one, I would say. And he had his moment like he does every year because he struggles. And he was like, oh my God, it's falling apart. And I noticed, and, and granted, this is over like a 10-year span, let's say. It's going to take time. This is what I mean by like longevity and it's not instant. I looked at him and I said, all right, well, you have a choice. You can you can give up and you could smash it and have it sit there. Or you could take a break, come back to it and, and try to solve it. I'm not going to fix it for you, um, but I would love for you to try. I think it's a really cool gingerbread house. There's a lot going on here. You could definitely salvage. And, you know, he was yelling and I, you know, I jokingly said, is this how they handle it? I'll nail it when the, you know, the cakes fall down on all the like cake and cooking shows. And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And he's like, this, I'm not winning $10,000, mom. And I'm like, you're right. You're not. Um, but it was funny. He did. He walked away and he came back and he fixed it and it's still standing. And I took that from a parenting perspective. I was like, okay, I've grown in my parenting and my ability to not um, do everything for him. And I now I'm seeing the results of when I don't do that, he just built a little bit of resilience. And I think that sometimes that resilience is going to be, um, you know, short in short moments. Um, and sometimes I think it's going to be longer, but if we can increase the amount of time that they um, have to sit in the struggle, we're also going to help them increase the amount of resilience they can grow and the tolerance they have for failure. And I think that it's going to start small like that with gingerbread houses, but those little moments um, they happen within sport all the time, whether you're a coach or a player or a parent. And we have, and we're going to fail a lot. Like I, my whole, his whole first five years, I was a copter parent for sure. And now with my second and third kid, I'm much better and, and cognizant, but I do a lot of that work. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of listening to podcasts because I have now seen like yesterday, the ability to instill resilience and you know, part of the reason I'm doing this is we're working with college players and high school players, and we're hearing from coaches and, and players who they just want to give up. They're not mentally tough and coaches who are like, God, these kids are soft. And I don't want to create children like that. And I'm not going to help them by doing everything for them, by pulling them off the team and putting them in a different club team or club because they can't make the one team here. Or like my son got dropped down a team. I have to let him sit in that and see if he pulls himself out of it. And sometimes he might not. I don't know if he's going to be passionate enough to put the time and effort in. And that is the ultimate say, like maybe he's just not going to be a soccer player. And as a parent, that's an ego, you know, issue for me and my husband who both played at high levels, but that's the reality of life. And, and he's going to find something else. Ironically, he's interested in diving. So we'll see. <laughs> Oh, that we'll is so he follows, uh, Yeah. And actually we, we brought him to an evaluation last week and the guy was like, yeah, I think he's pre-junior Olympic level. And granted, luckily being in sport, I know that I'm not just going to listen to the sales pitch and get hyped on all the levels, but at the same time, like he is super passionate about it. So following his passion is more important than, than mine, you know, and that's another part of that ego parent piece that yeah, Gosh, I, I can talk about this all day. Yeah, well, yeah, I know I get asked that, like, because my girls all played soccer up until just a couple years ago, and um, they have other they've played lots of sports and the uh the older ones have landed more in lacrosse and the younger ones still playing different sports. Um, but people will say that, well, oh, they didn't follow in mom's footsteps to, to in our soccer players, and I'm it, it's always kind of a funny question to me because I'm like, well, no, I didn't follow in my parents' footsteps either. Like, you know, it's, I, both my parents are in the medical field. I did not go into the medical field. Um, I know women's sports was not as accessible. Um, my mom was playing basketball when it was still, you know, six on six, well, basically three V three, you couldn't cross the half line if you were on defense and vice versa. Um, but she played field hockey and she was, you know, she was all in it, but they just, what I learned so much from my parents was just like, they supported our passions, you know, um, completely. I mean, I play, I grew up with two older brothers, so I was around a lot of sports and a lot around, um, 
you know, access to that stuff. And I wanted to do it. Well, what do you mean? I can't play baseball. So my mom went to the baseball people and said, my daughter wants to play baseball and I played baseball. And so, you know, they, they advocated for and supported the passion that I had to play whatever, um, and, and attempt to do it and, and obviously supported financially those, those endeavors. But, um, I think, you know, that, like you said, the ego can be tricky that way. Um, and it can show up not just in sport in school, you know, um, you were a certain kind of student and your child may or may not be a similar student to you. Um, they may, and that doesn't mean, oh, I was a straight A student. So they're going to be a straight A student. Um, you could have been a straight A student and they are a straight A student, but it might look very different. You know, school may have been easy for you or super challenging. And for them, it might be the opposite, but you still got the same scores, but your journey getting there was different. Um, so I think it really does go back to the like shepherding and not just driving the bus, <laughs> just mm -hmm. kind of guiding it um, and trying to give them the scaffolding to, to, to have the resilience when obstacles come up. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, their successes as well. And I think if you're a coach, so we talked a lot about parenting, if you're a coach looking at your team in this regard too, like framing the, the hidden potential around, you know, you might, your first few games, you might have had losses and you have a choice as a coach to basically say, Hey, I'm, you know, we're going to suck this season and these are our issues or to really, you know, find the hidden potential within your team based on with what you have and the the level you're playing at and all of that. And I think it's all in how you look at it and frame it, bird it to your team that can make all the difference, which is why we have underdog teams that come out of the woodwork and you're like, dang, how did that happen? And exactly the same reason why you have a national team like we had this summer who has all the talent in the world and can't win. It's all about how it's framed, how it's looked at. And um and I think that's where, why coaches matter and why it's, you know, there's not like a formula. We're just, we just live in such a, a society where it's like, there's, there's gotta be data and, and research for this and a formula. And once we do it, it's perfect. And that's just not how it works in sport and in a lot of things, especially parenting and, and things like that. So um, highly recommend this book. I love it. Um, I'm not even done with it, but there's also some really fun little drawings. Um, and I would definitely listen to his podcast or him on other people's podcasts. Um, we got to listen to Michael Lewis interview, which was fun because it was around sport. They talked about the Warriors and Steph Curry. Um, he had on, um, or he was on the Good Inside podcast with Dr. Becky Kennedy talking about this. He was on, um, I think him and Michael Gervais had a conversation on something I listened to. Uh, he had on Rain Wilson and talked about it on his own podcast, which was fun. They talked about The Office. And, um, you know, I definitely think like podcasts are a great way if you're not a reader and you can't get through this book to to go listen um, in a shorter version of what this book is about and hopefully listen to this one that we just discussed. But any last thoughts? No, super fun. Could talk about this stuff all the time. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, I guess I would just the, what I try to remind myself and I actually say it out loud, loud sometimes to my own children. So this is more for parents and coaches is, well, coaches, you do, you tend to stay maybe with the same age group, not necessarily you may move up an age group, but I always, when, when things come up, I'm like, well, I've never parented a 17 year old before. So I'm learning, you know, and just give yourself a little grace. And because that's also teaching your kids such a skill, you know, um, that you're not perfect and you don't always get it right. And that's okay. Um, you're just doing your best with what, you know, and now I know something different or more or, you know, alternative to what I originally thought and that, um, that growth, uh, mindset and that, you know, self-reflection will, is such a great uh, model for your children. Um, and even your players, cause coaches, I know there have been coaches. Like I had a moment, this was a, this was a, uh, I forget. Um, I think it was a basketball game and something happened and it got heated. The other coach got really upset and it definitely riled me up inside. It wasn't, it wasn't directed towards me, but it was directed. I, I forget the exact situation, but I could feel it. You know, I could feel it. 
And I said out loud to my players, I said, I am really upset right now about what's happening. I said, but we have a game to focus on and this is, you know, what we're going to do. And just saying that made me feel okay. Like, cause I, cause I could tell like, I wasn't myself. I wasn't able to coach the way I wanted to, or get the words out the way. And so I just had to stop myself and say, you guys, I'm sorry. I'm still really upset about how that happened. And I took a deep breath. And then I said, here's what we're going to do for whatever the last two minutes of the game and, and went from there, but just, you know, it's okay. It's so you, you as a coach don't have to be perfect. And you as a parent don't have to be perfect. And you as a player mm-hmm. certainly don't have to be perfect. So, yeah. Yeah. My biggest advice is just think long-term realize what you're prioritizing and investing in. And if it is all worth it in the end, in other words, maybe the $500 a month on private training can be redirected somewhere where they're going to value gain skills that are also going to teach them something beyond the foot skill that they're no longer going to need when they're 35 and in a job, you know, like think, think long-term with some of this, think about be more intentional and purposeful around your actions, your words. Um, and if you don't know what to say or what to do, reach out and find things like this. You don't have to go back to school. You don't need to go to, I don't believe that this all requires a, an individual player to have to go see a sports psychologist. They're wonderful. I highly recommend them, but you can do your own research and learn a lot from the different things that you put in front of you. And, and this is a great opportunity to read this book and books like it, like Atomic Habits, um, you know, there's a ton we could, we've already mentioned, I think in other podcasts, but um, do your own research and and have it, use it to your advantage, um, whether you're a player, parent or coach. And thank you for listening. Cause we like to have these conversations every now and then. It's fun to interview people and have guests on. And we know you like hearing their stories, but I also think it's important to hear, um, you know, resources that could be useful for you too. So hopefully you got something out of this. Thank you guys so much for listening. And um, we have a winter mentorship program registration is open right now. It's a one-on-one individual mentorship program, six weeks, January 15th to February 25th. Players are paired with a mentor, whether it's a current or former professional or collegiate player who's been in their shoes, who gets to weekly meet with them for 30 minutes and talk about this kind of stuff. Um, Somebody to just, you know, have a discussion with that's outside of your world is really, really important. So registration is open now. Check it out on our social platforms and our website. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on, Rach. Yeah. Fun to chat. Super fun. All right, we will see you guys next time. Thank you so much.